Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today we're going to look at scriptures in the Daily Office Lectionary for proper 12. Last week we looked at scriptures from 1 Samuel, Acts, and Mark. This week we're going to look at 2 Samuel. Remember we transitioned from Saul dying in the last chapter, chapter 31. Paul, David hears the news in 2 Samuel. And we will pick up with that in Acts. We'll pick up in chapter 15. Remember in chapter 15, last week we had the council at Jerusalem where there was a big hoorah over circumcision of the Gentiles. The Jewish people said, hey, these Gentiles are saved. They got to get circumcised. So Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James and others got together and said, nope, that's not, we're not going to. We're not going to support that. They, they do not have to do that. Now, here are the three things that they need to be thinking about, and we want them to consider, like sexual immorality, food sacrificed to idols. And so they sent a letter, a circular letter, if you will, uh, to, the Jew, to the Gentile communities, not the Jewish communities, the Gentile communities, um, to encourage them in the Lord and to have some prohibitions. And then, of course, we pick up again, in the Gospel of Mark, we looked at last week, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6, some extraordinary things that Jesus was doing, and he just continues to do. We'll look at 6, 7, and 8 today. All right, let's go right to Second Samuel. Remember, David hears about Saul's death, and the person that gives him the information supposedly killed the Lord's anointed, and David had him killed also, as I spoke about last week. Verse 17, David took up his lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. Now remember, David loved Jonathan very much, and they had a very good relationship, and his son Jonathan died also, and ordered that the men of Judah be taught this lament of the bow, is written in the book of Jashar. Your glory, O Lord, lies slain on your heights, how the mighty have fallen. And then this beautiful lament. How the mighty have fallen in battle, verse 25. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen, the weapons of war have perished. So a lament, great sadness. David lost a great friend in Jonathan, and of course, the king died. In chapter 2, though, David is anointed king over Judah. Verse 4, then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When David was told that it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who had buried Saul. He sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead to say to them, The Lord bless you for showing kindness to Saul by burying him. Remember, again, David had a soft spot for Saul and for the Lord's anointed and for the king. May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favor because you have done this. Now then, be strong and brave, for Saul your master is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Now there's going to begin war. There's going to begin war between the houses of David and Saul. And that is a very important part of 
the first part of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 2, 1 through 11. 2 Samuel chapter 3, 6 to 21. Abner goes over to David. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David in verse 6, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Now, this problem between the house of Saul and the house of David is quite complicated. What I'm asking you to do, look at your post, look at the scriptures in the post, read through them. Again, if you have a commentary or you have a study Bible that has some notes at the bottom, that probably can help you. But if you just read it straight out and maybe a couple of scriptures around it that aren't part of the daily lectionary, um, you might and should be able to gain knowledge of what you are reading and what is listed there. Joab murders Abner. I mean, there's all kinds of intrigue going on here. There's all kinds of, again, these are history books. He's telling you what has happened. And they are fighting for uh, rule. They're fighting for authority. Oh, surprise. Remember, this is about 1000 BC. Folks, nothing has changed in 3000 years. Nothing has changed in 3,000 years. In chapter 4, you have Ishbosheth murdered with Ishbosheth, son of Saul. Chapter 4, verse 1, Thursday's reading. Heard that Adam, Abner had died in Hebron. He lost courage and all of Israel became alarmed. Now Saul's men, son had two men who were leaders of raiding bands. It just goes on to explain how and how all this happened and the intrigue and the maliciousness uh, and the treachery that happened as a result of the war between the two. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 5, 1 through 12. David becomes king over Israel. Now that's the place that we're trying to get to. Let's read the first five verses. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns, which is true. The Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become the ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to David, King David at Ebron, the king made a compact with them at Ebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. Remember, we had read earlier about his reigning over Hebron. Okay? Now, in chapter 5, which is a very, very important chapter in the, uh, in the Old Testament, literally, is David conquers Jerusalem. Okay? And that becomes the city of David. He had not conquered Jerusalem yet. The Jebusites, see this in verse 6? The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, You will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. And they thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. Now, this is how smart David was. Watch this, verse 8. Chapter 5, on that day, David said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft 
to reach those blind and lame who are David's enemies. The blind and lame will not enter the palace. David took up residence and the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord Almighty was with him. And that's a very important theological point. God was with David. And David knew that the Lord established him as king over Israel in verse 12 and exalted his kingdom for the people of Israel. David then goes and defeats the kings, Defeats the Philistines. When the Philistines, verse 17, heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Okay? David went down to the stronghold and eventually took the city of Jerusalem. The ark is brought to Jerusalem in chapter 6, 1 through 11. David brought Together out of Israel, chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim and that are on the ark. So they set the ark on, of God on a new cart, and they brought it out. And the whole of Israel was celebrating with all the might before the Lord, with songs and with harps and Lyres and tambourines and, and sistrums and cymbals. Okay, so what's going on is that under the leadership of Saul, Israel was not doing well, and Saul eventually disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord abandoned him. Before Saul was Samuel. Before Samuel were the judges. Samuel was the last judge. He was a prophet. And he was the last leader before the kings, beginning with Saul. The second one was David. The third one was Solomon. Then the kingdom split into two, north and south. We'll get to that eventually. Saul was ineffective, but David was very effective while Saul was king. He was a great military warrior. The Lord called David in 1 Samuel 16, as I said last week. And now David is king over Ebron for seven years and then Israel for 33. He takes Jerusalem, which is going to be this, the city of the Lord, the, the, uh, where God resides, where the temple is going to be built. And then he takes the ark there. Okay, He takes the ark there. Now David was told, the Lord has blessed the household, verse 12 of chapter 6 of Odebed Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So the Ark of God is a very, very important part to all of this. The Ark is there. Now they have to find a place to put the Ark. We can talk about that later. But David has already made significant advances. Enjoy these readings in 2 Samuel 1 through 6. 1 through 6. All right, in Acts chapter 15. Remember where we left off? We left off at the Council of Jerusalem. And that got rectified, that got solved. And then we'll see at the end of 15 that sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers of all the towns that we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So they went on a missionary journey. Then when they went back over the area again, Barnabas wanted to take John, who was called Mark, but Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia 
and had not continued with them in the work. This is the John Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. They had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. See, they, even they can disagree. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul took Silas, I made mention of Silas last week, and left commending, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So this is, this is how they were going to do things. They were going to now retrace their steps, strengthen the churches, share with them. Remember I've said repeatedly, they go in, they present the gospel. The people are pagan. They have false gods. Making the transition from false gods to the true gods is not an easy task. It takes the power of God to do that. The power of God to call the missionary to preach the word of the Lord. The power of God to touch the congregate, to touch the person. Same thing today. The Lord has to touch the leader, has to touch the minister, has to touch the ministers, and then the people need to respond to the word of the Lord. Timothy joins uh, Paul and Silas, the great Timothy. Paul's letter to Timothy, that's the one that we're talking about. Paul has a vision of the man of Macedonia. This is a very interesting verse, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. In the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mysia, and they went down to Troas. Then they saw the man of Macedonia. Then there's the Lydia's conversion in Philippi. I love this verse. Verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And my prayer for all of us today is that the Lord would open my heart and your heart to hearing the word of the Lord. That God Almighty would open our hearts. Paul and Silas end up in prison. When they were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit with which she was predicting the future. She earned a great deal of money for her fortune telling. Verse 17 this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. So she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And that moment, the spirit left her. Again, demonic spirits, they were able to cast out demons. When the owners of the slave girl realized they were making money on her, and they realized that the money-making ability was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the authorities, they were stripped and beaten and severely flogged. Verse 23, Paul did not have it easy in any kind of way. They put him in an inner cell and they fastened their feet. This is the famous 16th chapter. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake in 26. The prison doors flew open. The chains became loose. The jailer was going to kill himself. Paul says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights and said, this is the famous part, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Because he was going to be killed when they found out that Paul got out and Silas. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him in verse 32 and to all the others in the house. And that night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately they were baptized. So the jailer, who was taking care of Paul 
and Silas in a jail situation. There's no way they could have gotten out. Gotten out. But the power of God, he sent an angel. I mean, he said he had an earthquake and pretty much an angelic situation was going on here that God did a miracle and loosened uh, the chains. I'm thinking of Acts chapter 12. Remember when Peter was let go and um, the angel came and, and uh, did a fantastic work there. They brought him the household. They gave him a meal. The whole family was filled in joy because they had come to believe in God. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer, released these men. The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go in peace. And then he talked about them being Roman citizens. In chapter 17, they go to Thessalonica. They go to Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. And um, they had a mob. They formed a mob. They were against him again. The Jews were jealous. They started a riot. And then they left. It's almost, you wear out reading it. It's fascinating reading. It's fun reading. But there's trouble every way along the way. Paul encountered tremendous opposition to the message of the scriptures. The Thessalonians received the message with great eagerness, verse 11 of chapter 17, and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That's a good idea, that we would examine the scriptures to see if they are true. Go and check them out. Don't just take my word for it. Do some study yourself. Do some thinking yourself. Reflect upon the scriptures. Do some work. When the Jews in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, I'm sorry, learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. They stayed at Berea. And then finally, Paul goes to Athens. Acts 17, 16 to 34 in your program Saturday. He goes to the great Athens. And he saw that the land was filled with idols. And Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with them. And Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And he went to the Areopagus, the famous Areopagus. And he spoke to him about this new teaching. And so he begins to preach. Now, again, in Acts, we see history. We see the movement of the apostles. We see people getting saved. We have speeches, lots of speeches in Acts. We have miracles in Acts. We have persecution in Acts. It's just filled with a tremendous amount of information. And this teaching here from Paul is fantastic. The God who made the world and everything, it is the Lord of heaven and earth, verse 24, and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Now he commands everyone to repent in verse 30. God commands everyone to repent. He has set a day when he will judge. This is what he's telling the Athenians. This, he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. So God is calling us to repentance and putting our faith in Christ. This is the message of Christ during the gospel time. This is the message of the apostles in the uh, post-apostolic period after the apostles. Um, and they are now sharing this message. Um, the message of Jesus and the apostles has now gone to the apostles and then it will go to the, those after them. And they will share this message 
of the grace and mercy of God and the goodness of God and salvation only in Christ. A few people heard the word, as it says in the last couple of verses. We want to hear you again on the subject. Paul left the council. A few people believed, but most of the people did not. But they had never heard anything like this before. So I hope that God used that in a powerful way. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We left Mark with some just some astonishing, um, astonishing healings. Uh, he sends out the 12. They said that they should repent. They anointed people with oil and he healed them in verse 13, 613. In 614 to 29, John the Baptist is beheaded. The famous story about John the Baptist, his head on a platter. Extremely sad situation. Then Jesus heal, feeds the 5,000 after that in 630 to 46. He feeds the 5,000, and that's just counting the men. I'm sure there were anywhere from 12 to 15 to 18,000 men, women, and children. This fantastic miracle. They have five loaves and two fish. They sit on the green grass in verse 40. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He takes the five loaves, the two fish. I mean, that's hardly anything. He looks up to heaven. He gives thanks. He breaks it. He sets it before the people. He divided the two fish. They all ate and were satisfied. He picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men was 5,000. That's a miracle that's unexplainable. Five loaves, two fish, and there was leftovers. Only Jesus could do that. Remember we talked last week about calming the wind and the waves. We talked last week about, in chapter 5, 1 through 20, about the guy that had a legion of demons that he cast out all the demons into the pigs. This man has tremendous power. You want to talk about power? How about uh, walking on water? 45 to the end of the chapter. He walks on water. There's the scripture. You've heard it before. Take courage as I don't be afraid. They climbed in the boat and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, I'm sure. They had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. See, the Lord's got to open your heart. Remember Lydia? 1614, God open your heart. Acts 1614. If he doesn't open your heart for your understanding and my understanding of the scriptures, you're not going to understand what's going on. So that's why one of the things it's a good idea to do is to pray, God, open our minds, open our hearts to hearing these scriptures. They crossed over the land of Gennesaret. They anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. He was really a star. They went throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats. Everywhere he went, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let him touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Healing power, preaching power, teaching power, casting out of devils, overcoming the elements, raising people from the dead, healing the blind. There's nothing that he could not do. Nothing he could not do. Chapter 7, in the first part of 8, he begins to teach them about the clean and unclean. Again, going at the Pharisees, trying to teach them the truth of the scriptures. He's taking on the elite. So notice how Jesus, he works with the very poor, the lepers, the blind, the sick, the impoverished, 
poverty-stricken. Then he goes right to the top to the leaders of his, the Jewish community and vies with them and talks with them and um, teaches them. And so those teaching uh, components in the scriptures are very important. We have the faith of the Syrophoenician woman. He goes into Gentile territory. And his, her daughter was possessed by evil spirit. And the daughter's not there, so the mother is going to entreat Jesus for help. And he says, um, no, basically. And, uh, but she has faith, and she trusts the Lord, and she perseveres with him. For such a reply you may go, verse 29, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying in the bed and the demon gone. What you learn from that wonderful short pericope is faith, perseverance, persevere, don't give up. The healing of the deaf and dumb man at the end of chapter 7. He took him aside, he put his fingers on his man's ears, and his tongue was loosened. He began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded that he not tell anyone. He was trying not, trying not to make a big deal of himself, but he did. Jesus makes the deaf hear and the dumb speak. And then in chapter 8, he feeds the 4,000. So he fed the 5,000. And in another incident, he, fell, fell, he fed the 4,000. He fed the 4,000. This time, seven loaves. Seven loaves gave thanks. A few small fish. Verse 7, chapter 8. The people ate. Seven basketfuls of broken pieces left over. 4,000 men present. 4,000 men present. I mean, how could you do better than that? He does it on two separate occasions. He's walking on water. He's casting out demons. He's raising people from the dead. He is healing people from a long distance. The faith of the Syrophoenician woman, the daughter who has a demon. He's teaching them. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching the people of Israel. He's teaching the leaders of the faith. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, there is a lot in today's readings. I hope that you enjoyed this time together, and I pray that the Lord would bless you and me because I plan to go through the same thing, plan to read these scriptures on a daily basis and work through them, and I pray that you will enjoy them and that God would speak to you in a powerful way. Enjoy your week. Look forward next week as we look into Proper 13 and continue our study of the Holy Bible. God bless you.